church this morning, it is my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Tim Gunnels. Dr. Gunnels is uh, one of our professors at Amridge University in Montgomery, Alabama, and he will be speaking to us this morning. Please welcome Dr. Gunnels. Good morning, church. I love uh, traveling around the country and working with church leaders and preaching in different places because I love to see the kingdom across the nation. I love to see the body of Christ. And, and when I'm in different places and when I'm taking communion, I always pray during that time, thanking God for the body that meets in this place, the body that meets uh, where I am at the moment. I've got four children, and I don't know where they're going to wind up when they begin to leave home. But I have a vested interest in healthy churches across the country, and that's one of the reasons I go out and do what I do. I want to, to have places for my children and grandchildren as they grow older. But even more than that, I am, I am so interested and so concerned about the lost. And you are as well. And that's why you exist. Our ultimate mission is to seek and to save that which was lost. That was why Jesus came. That's why we are here today, because he sought us and saved us. We're going to be talking for just a few moments about God can use you. And uh, in just a minute, we're going to read from an unlikely passage for a guest preacher to preach from. But it's Judges. Uh, Judges chapter 6. We'll be there in a minute. But first, I want to talk to you about Ernie. I was uh, 22 years old. I was fresh out of college and I was working with a, a small church in a small town as a youth minister. And uh, this this man came to me after uh, after morning worship, one of the first weeks I was there. And he said, uh, hi, my name is Ernie. He told me his last name, but I'm going to reserve that in case, you know, he's got family members here or something. But, um, hey, I'm really doing good there. OK, all right. Where should I stand? OK, right lights. Um, Ernie said, do you like to fish? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I like to fish. He said, well, he said, uh, I'm going to take you fishing. He said, but I want you to know we're not necessarily fishing for fish. We're fishing for people. I said, OK. Never fished for people before. But, uh, uh, I mean, I, I was following him. You know, I'm not that dense, but I mean, I understood. But, uh, but he really was going to take me fishing. And he said, I'm going to come by and I'm going to pick you up. You know, we'll ha- I'll have my boat and we're going to go out to this lake. And we're going to, he said, now, you don't mind getting up early, do you? And I said, not for fishing. And so he said, yeah, I'll be by about five and get out there early. And so we go out and I thought, well, this is going to be a great day. I love to fish. I'm going to enjoy this. Going to be out on the boat for a while. And, uh, and, and he said, and he, he's talked about all the big fish he caught out there. He showed me pictures of big fish he caught out there. And I really thought this was all going to be about the fishing. And I was really excited. And, and before long, he, he said, hey, wait a second. Let's go over there. There's a boat over there. And so we you know, go on over to this boat. And uh, he says, hey. And the people are like, what? You know, hey, you got a church anywhere? I'm like, Okay. You know, this is this is different. You know, the first thing we do, you know, we just put our line in. He said, reel that in. We're going over there. And so uh, and they're they're like, yeah, yeah, go. So and so he said, "Okay." well, he said, he said, well, let me I want to give you something. And he uh, he made his own fishing lures and they were these special weedless lures that he had created. And Walmart actually wanted to mass market them in all their stores, but he refused. 
and, and he refused because they were his tools to reach people for Christ. Because people knew about him in our community and they knew that if they ever met him, they'd get some of those fishing lures and he used them. He did sell them in the local Walmart, but he didn't. He refused to mass market them because they were his fishing tools. And guess what? We didn't fish a lot. We kept going from boat to boat to boat. You go to church anywhere? Now, he, I mean, he was not, you know, everything I'd ever learned about reaching people for Christ, he did everything wrong. I mean, he'd be a little, you know, in your face, a little belligerent and stuff. So, uh, you know, he'd invite me and I'd go with him all the time. And every once in a while we caught something. And I, I remember one time I, I caught a lunker. And I mean, genuinely, we were up against a dam and I reeled it in and the thing was 10 pounds. I mean, we weighed it. It was huge. And I said, I've got to mount this. He said, throw that back. He said, I catch him like that all the time. I said, you, you, no, no. He said, he said, throw it back. I never caught another one. Not since then have I caught one like that. <laughs> Lesson in humility on the water. Ernie was rough around the edges. And, and, and what made Ernie so interested in reaching people is because Ernie was lost for so long. You see, for years and years, he was an alcoholic. In fact, he told me he was a he was a, an insurance salesman uh, for for the trucking industry, and he traveled the the highways across America. And he said he never traveled without an open bottle of liquor next to him. He was pretty rough around the edges, and he'd been a Christian for about three years. And he was one of our deacons, and he was deacon of evangelism because basically he told the elders, you're going to make me a deacon of evangelism. And they're like, yes, you know, we're doing that. So, uh, uh, he was qualified. In about three years' time, he had converted almost every one of his neighbors around the lake where he lived. And, and there were five or six more people in the community that had come to Christ because Ernie and his weedless fishing lures and his in-your-face evangelism but he would always get around to his story. He'd always get around to telling why he had come to Christ and what Christ meant to him. And he's just one example of how God can use unlikely people in his service. Judges chapter 6, we get the story of a man named Gideon. Now, usually when we, we talk about the story of Gideon, we flip on over to where Gideon's leading this, you know, this army of 300 and, and, and God provides this great victory. And we'll talk about that, but, but we need to see kind of what happened with Gideon to begin with. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian. The sons of Israel made for themselves the dens, which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Now, I want you to get a clear picture. Do you understand what it, what it means by they, they made these dens? They hid. They made hiding places. Okay. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. So all the food's gone. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. 
Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave them, gave you their land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods, of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to, the, to Joash the Abizarite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did, you not, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So what can we learn from the story of Gideon? The first thing is God can use us in our weakness. Gideon's clan was the weakest, perhaps the smallest in Manasseh, and Gideon was the least Likely the youngest in his family, verse 15. But the angel of the Lord declared to him, and this is remarkable to me, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Now, when does he declare this to Gideon? When Gideon is hiding in a hole in the ground. The wine press would be below the ground. The, the grapes would be put into this you know, hole that would roll down into the into that lower hole, and you get down in there and press it down. But that's not what he was doing. He was not doing anything with grapes and making wine. He had taken what little bit of wheat there was and taken that down into the hole, and he was hiding down there, threshing out the wheat. Gideon's faith was weak at first because he questioned God. And he said, basically, God, where have you been? David was the youngest and smallest of Jesse's sons, but God told Samuel to anoint him to be king. 1 Samuel 16. Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church when Jesus summoned him to work for him. He also had a thorn in the flesh, poor eyesight, and by his own admission, he wasn't even much to look at. Yet who would deny that God used the apostle Paul in his service? What does Jesus say in Matthew 5 and verse 3? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, Peter says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. The message is clear. We must humble ourselves before God can use us. And God can only use those who recognize how weak and helpless they are without him. And certainly that was the case with Gideon. He's hiding. The angel of the Lord comes to him and, and, and he's called this valiant warrior. And Gideon says, hey, I'm the, I'm the youngest. My clan's the weakest. I don't know what you're talking about. The second thing is this. God chooses unlikely people to do his work. He chooses unlikely people to do his work. I mentioned Samuel and David earlier when... When Samuel was at Jesse's house, David's father, to anoint a new king, 
What was Samuel's first thought? He thought, surely when he saw Eliab, the oldest son, that that had to be the king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Or aren't you thankful the Lord looks at the heart? Remember, Gideon's the smallest. He's, he's in the smallest clan. He's the youngest one in his family. The great prophet Jeremiah was just a boy when God compelled him into service. Jeremiah 1 and verse 6. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. But Jeremiah went on to speak boldly for the Lord. Even Jesus appeared unlikely. Nathaniel even questioned the town from which he came. In John 1 and verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Oh, did something good come out of Nazareth? Absolutely. Jesus came out of Nazareth. Come and see. Come and see, he was told. Going further, Isaiah 53, 2-3, Isaiah writes this. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the earth. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. The rulers of the Jews didn't think much of Peter and John and the other apostles because they weren't trained in the ways of the rabbis and the scribes. But they spread the gospel of Christ to the known world. Acts 4 and verse 13, it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. God can use anyone to do great things for him. Do y'all believe that? I want you to believe that before I leave this place. God uses unlikely people and God can use anybody to do great things. He can use anybody to do it. Hey, I'm already to point three. And I've only got three. God sees the potential we may not see. God sees the potential we may not see. So Peter, James, and John are sitting in their fishing boats when Jesus comes along and says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, Mark 1, 17. Matthew was at the tax collector's booth. It was a place of scorn and sin to the Jews. He was probably the most despised man in his community when Jesus looked at him in the eyes and says, Follow me. Mark two fourteen. Galatians 4, 4-7. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So, so folks, it's not just Gideon. It's, it's not just Peter, James and John. It's not just Matthew. It's us. It's us. 
As Christians, we've gone from being slaves to sin to being heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Romans 5 and verse 6. This always hits me right between the eyes. For while we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We appeared worthless. But the Lord knew better. All right, back to Gideon. The angel of the Lord, and as we go through the passage, I think it's likely the Lord himself greets Gideon with these words. And I've already talked about them. Judges 6 and verse 12. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Again, where was Gideon? He was hiding in a hole in the ground. He was hiding in a hole in the ground. But evidently, God was able to see through all of it. And he was able to see someone that he could work with. And he was able to see someone who would trust in him. And he was able to see someone that would follow him. Now, if you follow the story of Gideon, you're going to see that Gideon is still struggling a little bit. And he, he asked God to show him different signs. To, to, to really show me that you're with me. And God doesn't seem to mind. And I think that's the message for us. God doesn't mind a little bit of doubt and a little bit of concern and a little bit of fear. But what he wants is for us to follow him anyway. So don't let fear keep you from serving God. Don't let a little bit of doubt about how God can use you keep you from serving God. Go with him anyway and trust that God knows what he's doing. Gideon did trust God, and God was able to accomplish something truly remarkable through him. And this just always blows my mind. Gideon, with just 300 men and one mighty God, defeated an army of over 100,000. Now, let me ask you this. What might God do with this church? What might God do with this church? You see, because what I'm seeing here today is there's more than one of you. I mean, I do wear reading glasses now, but I can make out a lot of faces out here. You know, there's more than one of you out here. What can God do with this church? What can God do with this church in the next several years in this neighborhood, in this community, in this city? And even beyond. And what's holding you back from thinking and dreaming? I was sharing with your church leaders this weekend about a, uh, a church that recently uh, came up with, a, with an idea, a plan, a dream. They did a big campaign to raise millions of dollars. I didn't share that part, but I will now. They, they came up with a, with a campaign to raise millions of dollars. And, and it was not to build a new building, and I have no problem with buildings. It was not to, to launch a lot of new ministries within the congregation. It wasn't even to send missionaries overseas. It was to plant churches in the United States. Because let me tell you, folks, we're in a mission field ourselves now. Your community is a mission field. In fact, parents, your, your family, your children, that's a mission field. Don't forget about them. 
your workplace is a mission field. But this church, they've raised money, they've prayed, and they've, they've established a very, sounds almost crazy idea to plant 1,000 churches. You can look this up if you want to. It's the North Boulevard Church of Christ in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And they've already planted their first one. And in two years, it's three or four hundred people. It's in their same community. There are churches within the state of Missouri that are planting other churches. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you're called to do. Maybe that's something for you. What else? You know, what need is there in this community that you can serve, that you can uh, fill the gap in? What is it that God wants to do and can do only if he has people that will go with him? What is it that you as an individual can allow God? Notice I'm not going to word it this way, that you can do, but that you will allow God to do through you. Because if you really want to accomplish something, you allow God to work through you. You don't kind of go out there with your own thing. And I can just about guarantee you that if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for any time and you have any zeal for God, that there have been promptings within you throughout your life that have welled up in your heart, that have come into your mind, and you thought, I'd really like to do this for Jesus. I'd really like to do this for Jesus. I, I wish we would do this collectively for God. And yet you let a little voice, the voice of the devil, come in and say, just, just, just stop that. Just stop that. My friend Ernie, you couldn't shut him up. And I'm telling you, people at church would say, Ernie, you've got to do this differently. And Ernie didn't do it differently. And Ernie was the only one reaching anybody. God can use the most unlikely people. God sees us for what we can become in the future, not who we are in the present. God can use you even in your weakness. God can use you to do great things. God sees the potential in you that you cannot see. Now, I'm going to close before the invitation with one last story. This is a true story. It's about a man named John. This is what I'm going to call him. My dad's told this story through the years as a preacher, and, and he... Had it corroborated, and I had it corroborated again a few years ago, so I know it's a true story. I know sometimes preachers just tell things. This is true. I'm glad Tony already paid me, so I said that. <laughs> Little town in Georgia, many, many years ago, uh, had a common practice, as a lot of churches do, of handing out attendance cards and and the attendance cards would go in the collection plate. And then after the services, men would men and women would gather and they'd, they'd look at these cards. And, and this particular congregation, the elders would always gather and look at the cards and see if there was anybody that was a visitor. And they, they went through the cards. Oh, so-and-so. Yeah, they were with, you know, Joe and Jim this morning and whatever. You know, they were visiting from out of town. And they came across one card. And it was just sort of scratched. And it just said, John, very poor handwriting. And the address said, City Dump. Oh, you're already thinking, that's a joke. Some teenager. I mean, that's, no offense, teenagers, but I mean, that's what I would have done. Especially if I thought my dad would read the card. I would have probably, you know, done that. 
Um, my son, who's five, would definitely do that if he could spell City Dump. I mean, he would write that. So, John, City Dump. And so, uh, you know, they kind of put it to the side and, oh, you know, that's whatever. And then one of them said, wait, 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 go back to that card and, and let's just talk about it for a minute. So they go back to that card and, uh, and, and one of the men said, well, there was a guy in the back that was dressed in, in coveralls. He was just sitting on the back row and he left right at the end of, of worship today. Um, could that be John? And, and these men had enough faith and they trusted God enough to say, you know what, let's go to the city dump. And so they went out to the city dump the next day and they inquired just, you know, where's John? Do you know a John? Is there a John here? And, and they pointed over to the shack that was kind of at the edge of the the property, and they said, "Yeah, he 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 stays in that shack over here. He he does. He's a, he's one of the garbage men." So they went and knock on the door. Man comes to the door, kind of peeks out because he doesn't get a lot of visitors, and and they say, Are "You John? Yeah. Well, we're you know such and such from such and such Church of Christ, and and uh, you know we just want to come talk to you for a minute. Can we can we talk to you? Yeah." So they talked to him for a while. They developed a little bit of a relationship with John. And John began to attend on a regular basis. Still wearing his coveralls. That's the best he had. And that's what he wore. And everybody was fine with that. And these elders began to study with John. Eventually, John became a Christian. As most new Christians, John was on fire. He was ready to go. He was ready to do something. But nobody knew what to do with John. You know, do you let him, you know, serve the Lord's Supper and his coveralls and you know where he works? So they kind of, you know, well, maybe not. You know, what else? Well, John kept hounding the preacher, you know, give me something to do. Give me something to do. And the preacher's like, OK, I'm going to come up with something for you, John. And I mean, just put him off for months. And finally, John was standing out in the foyer. And this was back, you know, especially when I was growing up, we always had tracks, you know, gospel tracks out in the foyer because that was kind of the, the one big way to communicate. And so, you know, there's tracks out here. And he just grabbed one. He took it to the preacher. He said, uh, how about this? And he's like, what? And he said, how about these tracks? You know, how much do these cost? And he, and he said, well, I don't know how to find out. And so he found out and he found out what a box of them would cost. And it was like ten dollars for like a five hundred. And John said, ten dollars, order me a box of them. And John got the tracks. And he went down to the local five and dime. This is how long ago it was. Some of y'all have no idea what a five and dime was. But I, I remember you could get two types of toys there. Well, three marbles, jacks or army men. I mean, that was what you could get. Occasionally a yo-yo at Christmas. They might have one. But he went and bought some masking tape. Just a roll of masking tape. He took his box. He put it on the back of the garbage truck. He rode around the city. And when he would empty the can into the garbage uh, truck, he would put it back upright. He'd put the lid back on the can. He'd take out some tape. He'd take out a track and tape it to the lid. And he did that for years. That was his ministry. That's what he did. When John died, a dozen people in that church were Christians because of John and his tape and his tracks. And his heart. I really don't know what stops the rest of us. 
I don't know what stops the rest of us from allowing God to use us in some way. Maybe we think it's not a big way, and so I can't do it because it's not a big way. Maybe we think it's insignificant, or we just allow the devil to fill us full of fear and doubt and shame on us because God can use us in our weakness. He can use unlikely people. He does use unlikely people. He can use us even when we think He can't. And today, you may be thinking, I'm not good enough for Jesus. Well, guess what? Nobody's good enough for Jesus. That's why He came. He came to give His life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we could have our sins washed away. When I humble myself, confessing my faith in Him, and I turn from my sins, and I turn to Him, and I allow myself to be buried, get all wet, in this watery grave of baptism, to have my sins washed away as I connect with His blood, I'm saying I am weak and you are strong. I need the salvation that comes through you. That's the first step. But beyond that, allow God to use you. Allow God to use you as a church. Allow God to use you as an individual. If you need to come for prayer, if you need to come to Christ, won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?